welcome to episode two, album two of Triggers and Triggered, a discography uh, with yours truly, Kem and Schmief. You still got the names backwards. One of these days I'll figure it out, all right? You know, all we're right. still we're still very early in the process. At some point it might become the Kem show, Kem and Kem, Schmief and Schmief. Okay. It's, at some point it might just be two completely different people, you know? And we'll that just sounds like, yeah, I mean... That assumes that this is going to have any value that anyone else is ever going to want. But I mean, if we're going off of episode one, this is the Raya show, and we're both just guests in this process. Yeah, um, yeah it's the Raya and Stella show, yeah. Yeah, I, as I say that, Raya is sitting on me now, ready to take this mic and just take over the show, and I think it's probably going to be a better podcast as a result because I mean, she's, you know. You know, she can see the notes. She's not on the notes. She can read the notes for you. She is the notes. Makes sense. Um, so in episode two, album two, as we had mentioned previously, we we're talking about AFI's Sing the Sorrow album. This is an album that was picked by Cam. Um, why are we doing this one, man? Why are we doing a deep dive into AFI's Sing the Sorrow? So a lot of it has to do with the fact that when I brought up AFI, you said that everyone only knows AFI for Miss Murder, uh, the biggest most popular song off of december underground and i felt that that was just wrong well it wasn't the only thing they were known for like it's yeah if you don't know anything of afi that's like the one single you've heard probably oh well speaking of that speaking of of miss murder i i got some sausages that are grilling right now for the hot house edition okay are it's it's gonna be spectacular. Yeah, you better get them defrosted, warmed up. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm taking them out of the freezer right now, so they're they're getting ready to be put on get the, the grill. Get the fire going. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So but I'm gonna go ahead. This album, this album's like it's RA, it's certified platinum. That's a that's a million sales, and this isn't December Underground. That's why I picked it. This is an AFI album that isn't December Underground. Which is if, pretty impressive, especially for me. And, you know, I don't know shit, as, as we'll come to learn. <laughs> but it's impressive because Sing the Sorrow, this is from 2003, right? Yeah. And like you said, it's not December Underground. It does not contain Miss Murder. And so you're like, okay, so AFI is truly this good? Like, they have platinum-level albums? And it's it blew me away almost. And I'll be completely honest. When Kem picked this album and I listened to it for the first time in its entirety, uh, I thought it was shit. I did not think any single song in this album was above a four on our scale of one to ten. I thought the entire album was shit. I did not care for this album at all. I, I do I will say though that after going through a second and a third time, that that's definitely changed. And I have some songs that I've added to my playlist that I enjoy listening to now. Interesting. And, and I just think it's, we talked about this a little bit over dinner, but I think it's just the f- first takes that people have about albums while they're maybe valid and they probably are valid. I mean, if you listen to an album for the first time and think it's shit, good chance that you, you're going to think it's shit no matter what. But I, I think it's important to listen to an album, maybe two, three, four times, five times even. Because, again, like me, in my experiences, there's some songs that I really like now that I've added to my playlist that I'll actively seek out to listen to that I think are just stellar songs now. 
Whereas before, I just thought the entire album was shit, and I would never give it any sort of credit or thought process again. So it's it's definitely changed my opinion of AFI completely. Oh, it's interesting. Um, and I'll comment on that last thought later in our discussion. But I mean, I think it is important to sometimes you gotta let an album breathe a little bit. And there are definitely times where, I mean, you you first listen to this with any sort of scrutiny in the last couple weeks. Sometimes you got to give it more time than that. Sometimes you got to come back six months later. Sometimes you got to come back five years later and you'll like it. Um, but there are a lot of albums that you need to give a second chance. I th- yeah, I think this album is definitely one of those. Uh, again, on initial take, I-, I just didn't care for this album at all. Um, and again, the sausages are on the grill right now, and I'll save that that snippet for later on so let's just dive right into this one and i'm gonna let you take it off because this first track if i try to pronounce this i'm gonna butcher it okay well we're we're getting ahead of ourselves i want to talk a little bit more about the album commercially oh yeah please please in regards to the other afi albums okay so before we get to the tracks i just want to say like this is one of the reasons that i picked this is that it's an interesting piece of the afi timeline because if it's if i said that this was this is afi's sixth studio album wow so they have a lot of stuff before this you know they their first album was 95 if this is correct by spotify 1995 answer that and stay fashionable yeah and they put out like four albums in the in the late 90s right they put out Yep, very proud of you in 96. You have Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes in 97. And then Black Sails in the Sunset in 99. So I would... This album marked a turning point in in AFI's discography, in their history, where they sort of abandoned their roots and they took steps into a more commercially viable route. They, They wanted to be signed by a major label if you go and you listen to their first five albums you're gonna get a lot of straight up hardcore punk sound right if you looked up hardcore punk in the dictionary you'd get a 30 second snippet off one of those albums they sound they're they're iconic of that of that sound this album this album's not quite hardcore punk so i was actually i i wanted to get your take on what you would call the genre here because i wrote down something interesting when i was making notes for myself that's you know it's not an official genre no one no one else in the world has ever used this term yeah uh, so i don't i don't run it by you but i want to get your take on what where would you put this is this is this like emo is this post hardcore is this like pop punk I, I struggle with with labeling what AFI would fall into, and the only other band that I would say is maybe similar, maybe in the same category, simply based on sound, is a Skylet Drive. Huh. Um, maybe slightly sleeping with sirens, um, in the same category, in the sense that they have a distinct sound, they have a okay. distinct identity, um. But in terms of where I would place this and what I would classify this as, I, I, I don't think I can. I think what they do 
is unique to them. And I think, yeah, we can just go, it's a rock band. It's a whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I think they have a, a, a greater element to that. I think they have, I mean, the lead singer, despite my opinions, does things really well. Yep. Um, he's obviously got a distinct voice. He's got a very recognizable voice. Yeah. And I think they have a category that is their own, like a subgenre of, of rock. Okay. So that's where I would leave it at. All right. The description that I used was gothic emo core. That's what I wrote down. Wow. On my notes. Yeah. See, and that's gothic emo core. I would completely agree with that. And I think that lends itself to the, I think it's, they're in a league of their own. And I think what makes them really special in, in my notes, when listening to this album, I wrote down something that's totally unrelated to music. So I want to get your thoughts on it. Sure. My notes say, if you told me Twilight's author wrote their initial character notes of Edward based on the lead singer during this album, I could believe you. Is that is that factual or are you is that just something? No, you that's of? that that's my that's my hypothetical. If you told me that, I would I would believe you because this album just feels like that sort of it's no. angsty in a in a performative in a in a ballad in a in a like main character of a play in an I want you to look at me and I want you to see what I'm feeling and I'm putting on a show and it's not going to be a happy show. You know, there's definitely it's 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 a tragedy, but I need your attention. I think I would agree with that. I think I, I agree with that a lot because you get songs like Silver and Cold, you get the Leaving Song, you get Death of Seasons, and I think that fits very well with that, you know, teenage werewolf vampire drama, the the teenage angst, the you know the feuds. And I think you get that in a lot of these songs, despite the fact, despite what we might think about these songs, I think you get a lot of that. And I think that's a great connection is that if those characters were modeled after this album or this band in general, I think that makes sense because of how these songs are laid out and that the way that they're played and the way that they're sang and the voice and the lyrics behind them, like there is a lot of this band does a lot of soft spoken songs. Yeah. Like it, it, he's, you know, he sings quietly. Yep. But like, if you look at the lyrics, like it's, he's saying a lot to them. You know, they're not one that just repeats certain lines. I mean, yeah, they <laughs> do it like every other band. Right. But like his songs tell stories and it's from those stories. You can say like, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of influences strictly from this band. So you wanted to you wanted to get in the tracks then. Let's do tracks, man. What do you track number one? What do we have? So this is Miseria Cantare, the beginning. And I think that it's okay. Um when we get later on, it's not a hot take, but I have something I want to talk about later that revolves around this track and the end of the album. Okay. But we don't need to get into it right this minute i think it's okay it's an it's an album intro track for like the first minute and then once it gets going at like a minute 30 it's good and it feels like it fits the album better so in 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 the age when this track was released you know in 2003 when you 
put a CD in your Walkman and you'd listen to a whole album. I think it works, but in the age of just listening to the singles on a streaming service, uh, I think it's, you know, it's underwhelming. So I, I gave it a four. I would completely agree with that. I think the, the 40 seconds of essentially nothing at the beginning of this song, um, again, like you said, when I'm on Spotify and I'm streaming this album, right, and this song comes on, I'm skipping it. I'm wondering why it's even on here. You know, again, if I'm listening to this when it came out in 2003 and I got the CD playing, yeah, it makes sense. Or another thing that I would say is that songs like this, like your beginnings, your interludes, you want and everything like that, right? I think they have a place in live concerts when you want to have a shift or you're transitioning between songs. Right. Um, I think on streaming services, it, it just it doesn't serve the purpose that it was intended for. So, I mean, I gave it a one <laughs> only because it, you know, I'm listening to it on Spotify and I have no need to listen to it. Yeah, you can just listen I, to something you like instead. Exactly. Like I can skip straight to track two and I don't feel like it takes away from the album in itself because, again, I'm listening on Spotify and I'm not listening to this in 2003. So I don't have much to say other than this is just an immediate skip. And I, I don't think it adds anything or takes away anything from the album. It's just I'm skipping straight to track two. Right. You're getting going in, in, in track two. The Leaving Song Part 2, which is the first single off this album. Um, probably, well, I said the first single. It's the first single in album order. It's probably the third single in everyone's mind. The other two singles are were more successful and are probably better. I don't know if that's... I don't know if you'd agree with that. I give the song a seven. I think it's, I think it's solid. Oh, in my, I don't have a huge number of thoughts on it. It's good. In my initial um, dialogue, I said that I gave nothing higher than a four on this album. And I'll have to say that on my repeated listens of this album, the leaving song actually makes it to a five for me, a five out of 10. The part two. Yes, part two. Sorry, yes. The Leaving Song Part Two, I gave a five out of ten. I said because just for some co- reason they named the Leaving <laughs> Song Part Two is the second song. And then there's a yeah. Leaving Song last. Yeah, it's I like how they did that actually. It's and I like it how they have it like that. I don't know if they did it intentionally because it is the second song on this album, or technically the first. Right. But yeah, the first song song. Yeah, I it's it's really good. Um I enjoyed the chorus and the song a lot. And and that's one thing that I think, and I'll mention it, you know, throughout this podcast is that AFI does the chorus of their songs really well, where, you know, Davey will do, essentially he'll sing stories in his songs. That's what most of them feel like to me is that he's just singing stories. And then he's got great chorus in all of his music. And I think that's what draws people in to the stories that he's telling. And so I gave the song a 5 out of 10. I highlighted the lyric where he says, uh, To break down and cease all feeling, burn now what once was breathing, reach out and you may take my heart away. And I just think that this was a good turning point for me from my initial, you know, this album, shit. I would agree with your sentiment that, that he's really good at, at telling stories in, in the album. He's really good at constructing the album to convey... And that goes back to what I said earlier, where it's like it's like he's a the main character in a play, right? Like all the eyes are on him, and he's 
he's got everyone's attention and he's going to do something with it. I think that started in this album and this album was a turning point for AFI because it, it doesn't like AFI is a band that has had several distinct phases. Their previous albums don't sound anything like this and their more recent albums have lost the sort of hardcore punk edge. So, so this album and December Underground are the, the midpoint. They're the thread that connects the emo pop modern AFI and the hardcore punk edge of old AFI. And I, I think they're really nice because of that. Yeah, I think this album was the turning point to everything else that came after it with, with the direction that they wanted to go as a band and i think this ultimately led to the success of december underground and i think this album was a a launch pad essentially well for for it, everything to come it took off on its own you know it did because it has a lot of very popular songs if not one of their more popular ones uh coming later on right so let's let's talk about the third track bleed black um because everyone's familiar with it I I said that it sounded the guitar work especially sounded like it fit on December Underground. Um, those are my notes because it's the third track. I didn't realize that I was going to have that thought about almost every single track on the album. Yeah, I was more critical of this one. I did give this one a four out of ten. Um, okay. I I didn't. My biggest critique is that his voice in this song just sounds awful okay and the only thing i can compare it to and of course the listeners won't get this but it sounds like i'm singing this song and they <laughs> took me singing it and took that as the as the official song like okay. he just sounds like it's a rough copy they didn't you know he didn't prepare he had a sore throat he goes into this and goes well here's the one take you're gonna get and it's just i wasn't impressed i i thought it was really bad the slow pace quiet portions didn't do it for me and I was just kind of like, I mean, I'll listen to it, but you know, it's it's just a four. Like I'm not, it's not doing anything for me. Yeah, I give it a seven. I like that sort of wild edge that the the hardcore punk roots the vocal provides. Um, but no, you're 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 pickier on the cleans than I am. And that's and see that's where I'm I'm pretty critical about AFI is that I don't I can't decide yet if I'm a fan of how he sounds. I recognize that he's an exceptional vocalist, but I can't wrap myself around do I actually like how he sounds or does it just piss me off? Because while he's great, I'll admit that he's great, right? I'm just bothered by majority of time he's singing yeah and i'm kind of like you guys need someone with like a deeper voice or better with you know screams yeah i mean his it, his uncleans are like the iconic punk harsh vocals no they they absolutely are and i'm glad you said that because it i was about to say that it actually grows i'm on the fence because it grows on me his his uncleans it grows on me in some later songs to the point where I'm like, I think he got into the groove of it okay. and worked his way up to what sounds good. But these initial songs just didn't do do it for me yet. But it, it like it builds for me. 
All right. What do you think about Silver and Cold? This is the second single from the album. Is it really a single? Yes. Silver and Cold, Girls Not Grey, and The Leaving Song Part 2 are the three singles from this album. I give Silver and Cold an 8. And I think that it's... So it's, it's... It's the solidification of the departure from the previous sound because it's, by punk standards, very poppy. It's my notes on this are making an emo ballad poppy successfully. Okay. Yeah, I see. I'm still stuck, and I give it the same rating as Bleed Black at a four. You can't do the vocals? I can't do the vocals yet. It's still not resonating with me. But again, I will give credit to the fact that they have exceptional chorus work in their songs, and the chorus is catchy. I like the chorus a lot. I'll listen to the song for that reason but yeah it's still not i'm not at the point yet where i'm just like his vocals are really doing it for me and i just honestly this is a pass now that being said the turning point for me in this album is the next song dancing through sunday really okay yes so in my second and third takes of this album i really really enjoyed dancing through sunday and you know it didn't it doesn't start out slow and it has an interesting sound compared to every other song that comes before it right mhm i think the chorus in this one is the absolute best so far i like oh. i i love the chorus in this song okay and i i specifically marked the um i don't know if you can call it a guitar solo but around the 150 mark right Okay. The guitarist kind of just goes off on his own riff. Right. And it's like really, really good guitar work. And so Dancing Through Sunday gets my first seven on the album. Wow. Okay. It, you're gonna be you're gonna be shocked. Okay. I gave Dancing Through Sunday a six. I think it's the worst of the first five real songs. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think that the the beginning of the song is jarring compared to like Everything that came before it set up a tone that it's gonna it's gonna start with a little bit of punk and it's gonna be sort of poppy and it's gonna it's gonna work its way up to being a little harsher and then this song kind of jumps in and it's aggressive from the get go and it's not very ballady and it's it's not. I think that's why I I like it. Yeah. The most so far is because from the first episode we talked about how I like when it's aggressive from the from the start where it just yeah. it's all in your face. Whereas you don't like that style. And so it's I gotta, think it's got to build up for me. Yeah. I think that's why this one for me, it, it resonated for the first time on this album. And I was just like dancing through Sunday is actually a really good, like I would, I would pick this out and listen to it again. Like it's, I think it's a, a great song at, at number five and it's my, you know, the first one that I actively enjoy on this album. Yeah. It's just so interesting that that's, do you think that's going to be the only song you rate higher than me? Because I still gave it a six, but like. Well, I will say that the next few I think very highly of. Interesting. Okay. But maybe so. It, it, you know, it might be the only one I rank higher than you. But I think we might be surprised with the next couple of them. So what it's do you have for number six, Girls Not Gray? And Girls Not Gray is their 
second most popular song, if I'm correct. It is on Spotify. Girls Not Gray has 51.6 million listens. Yeah, the song charted really well as a single. It didn't make it onto the regular Billboard 100, but on the the, the genre chart, the weekly chart that it was on, it, it got to number seven. So it was very successful for, you know, this emo punk band that had only been doing full-on punk stuff before. Uh, I give it a nine. I think it's the best song on the album. I think the call and refrain format of the chorus really, really work in in the this punk ballad style that they've they've got going on on this album because it almost makes you feel like like I don't like live music, but this almost makes you feel like it could work so well at a concert where you've got you've got the chorus where you've got the you know you'd have the lead singer doing the call and everyone in the in the crowd can get back with them. I really like this song. It's I don't know what else to say. It it's one of AFI's best songs. Girls Not Gray, I also gave a seven out of ten. Um, and this might be a a hot take for you or, or for everyone listening. Um, I said I called out particular the drums in this song, I said reminded me of Fallout Boy, actually. Interesting. Um, and I actually found myself like finger tapping along to the drums at certain points throughout Girls Not Gray. Interesting. To the point where, you know, I think it's a really solid song. It's obviously probably their actual number two most popular song. Um, again, really strong chorus. That's, again, something AFI excels in is, is having a strong chorus. But yeah, Girls Not Gray, really solid all-around song. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I was listening to the drums, and the first thing I thought, like, literally instantly was, I'm kind of getting like a, like a Fall Out Boy kind of vibe here. Even, but it's crazy because this would have come before Fallout Boy, so it almost makes me wonder if they kind of took some inspiration, even briefly, from AFI. Would it have been before Fallout Boy? Was it before? I think because what I'm thinking of in particular is, let me just pull it up here. I Wasn't don't this really... released the same year as, as Take Us to Your Grave? Or are you thinking of something like that uh, wasn't I'm... present on Take Us to Your Grave? I'm thinking. I can find it. My God, they got so many albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because I'm either thinking from Under the Cork Tree, which was 2006, or Infinity on High, which was 2007. So this style of drum work wasn't present on Take This to Your Grave, or you? I don't think I've ever listened to that. Interesting. Okay. But that's what it reminded me of almost instantly. So I'm I'm wondering if there's any sort of connection there, or maybe I'm just you know crazy and um just listening to drums and i'm like they're all the same man you hear the same sound you don't know any different so it's just <laughs> i'm like drums go bang who knows okay uh in, in our first episode you mentioned that song titles are really important to you it was does death of seasons do it for you in the name department <laughs> i'm glad you brought that up because death of seasons while i also gave it a seven out of ten might actually be my favorite song on this album. Okay. I think Death of Seasons is such a great song. Um, I like the screaming, shouting vocals. I like the little techno flair that they kind of threw into the song. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I found the synth section to be like 
it was surprising, but it it really worked. I was kind of disappointed that it didn't make any presence in the in the rest of the album because you know I mean like I listened to a lot of like I see stars. I I like the electronic elements. You know I mentioned Dead by April in the previous episode. I like synth in yeah. my metal. When I when I heard it initially, I'm like, wait wait a minute, what is that? What are they doing? And you're right. It I don't think it makes a single other appearance on this album at all. And so when I heard it, and they only did it briefly. Yeah, it was like thirty like, seconds. Was... I'm like, that's really good. It's like they they gave you a taste and then they took it away from you. And so now I'm just kind of you know I'm chasing that. I'm yep. like AFI with a little little techno added to it would be really good in the right instances. And I think Death of Seasons does that so well to the point where I'm confident in saying that this might be number one for me, if not tied for number one on this album. Okay. It, it wasn't number one for me. You you were right. You rated something else higher than me. I also gave this a six. I think it's pretty solid. I like the synth elements. Otherwise, I think it was, you know, it's just good. Um, it's not bad. You know, my six is probably higher than your six but actually now that i now that i look through my notes you know um death of seasons i'm definitely going to say is my number two on this album my favorite song is yet to come really okay yeah yeah and that actually might be another one that i rate higher than you as well so i'm, I'm pretty excited to hear your take on it when we get there okay I mean, can we just can we just skip the next? Because I mean, like, do you, do you want to talk about the great disappointment? Like, it was named really well because like yeah, and I'm looking at the Spotify numbers here, and what's crazy is that it's not the lowest; it's third lowest, but it's oh. again. So well, this makes me wonder again from the first episode. No one cares. I put no one cares in the great disappointment in the same category as like why is it in the album? Right. Who decided that this should be a song? And like, does the band actually like it or is it just filler? Because I have nothing to say other than the name fits. Yeah. Yeah. The name fits. I think uh, it's just, it's just so long. It's so long. The, the, it's so slow to get started and then it gets started and there's like a minute where it's okay. And then it just drags on in the second half. So long. So like, if you could, you could, I think there's a decent song in there. But I think there's like a two minute and thirty second decent song in there, and it's five minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, so it's I, five it's... minutes and thirty seconds, and you have at least a minute and a half where it's just so quiet to the point of like you you know you can edit tracks, right? You can <laughs> like you don't it doesn't have to be shit. <laughs> so did, I just what did you rate it? I gave it a one. Okay. Because I'm I'm never seeking this out. I'm never listening to it. If it's for some godforsaken reason, Spotify goes, we know you hate it, but we're playing it anyway. It's an immediate skip. Like, it's, okay. just, it's just bad. So we'll pass. I gave it a five. Wow. Um, I don't think it's very good, but I probably wouldn't skip it if it came on. I think it would. Really? I just let it play. Yeah. I, see, I don't find it offensive. I just don't find it very good. You let it play in its entirety despite being five minutes and 30 seconds? Yeah, I think I would. I think I'd just let it go. Wow. Uh, that's I'm actually surprised by that. I think I would just let it play. So back to songs that we like. What do you think about paper airplanes? I actually gave paper airplanes a five out of ten. 
Okay. And again, maybe this is just me being, you know, crazy, but the first 10 seconds of this song reminded me of the Rise Against album, Siren Songs of the Counterculture. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that opening guitar riff definitely sounds like something Rise Against could put together, yeah. Literally just the first 10 seconds, and that's the thought that came to my mind almost immediately to the point where, like, I gotta write this down because that's what I think. And again, I think, and I just want to confirm here, I think that album came out after afterwards. It's a it's in the same time period. But it's just here. What do we got here? Two thousand four. So it came out a year later, right? Yeah. So you don't know if it was recorded before this one came out, right? And so I'm listening to it, and that's the first thought that comes to my mind. And I'm like, you know what? I like that. I like that. You know, I could listen to one song in a band that's in a completely different category, we'll say, for the sake of your argument, right? Yeah, they're both rock bands, but AFI is it's, you know, you call it goth punk emo core or some shit. <laughs> but, you know, just the fact that I can listen to it in the first 10 seconds, compare that to another band and be like, that's awesome. Like, I, I like that a lot and just have that connection. So, yeah, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Um. I give it a seven. I, I like the vocals. I, I know they don't do it for you. And we're going to keep saying this for, you know, every song in the album. And when we get to our conclusion, it's going to be the same thing. I like the punk vocals. I think they work. And I can my, get into them. My biggest thing is that I can't, and it's throughout the entire album. I have a problem getting into these slower paced, quiet songs mm-hmm. to the point where I'm almost not interested in listening to the track at all because i just don't like yeah like at at the beginning of of episode one i said that there's some times where i listen to all sorts of music and i do like quiet songs for whatever reason just the listening to afi that's not what i want that's not so i struggle to find and get a connection with most of their songs because they go quiet so often right yeah they, they don't hook you like uh like their upbeat stuff does Right, and unless they throw in a catchy chorus into their song, it's probably going to fall on me, and it's I'm just going to pass on it. But, you know, I gave this one a 5 out of 10. I mean, I would definitely listen to it. I definitely wouldn't skip it. It's just, I'm just not... It's not the 7s from, from previous songs. Right, okay. Uh, speaking of 7s, I gave a 7 to The Celluloid Dream. You okay. know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat myself here. I like the vocals. I think the punk roots are really good. I like the performative aspects. In some of the stuff, I find that sort of appeal to commercialization awful, cynical. But in this case, it feels like that's they they're putting on a show. And even if even if the actors are in on putting it on the show, it doesn't feel the same as like a corporation putting on a show. If you know what I mean. So right. it it really works for me. So I gave the celluloid dream or this celluloid dream rather um, a five out of 10. Um, I don't really have much to say about it. I think it's a very average song. I actually was sitting at work today and this song played in its entirety. I didn't skip it. I just let it play. Um, Yeah. I think it's about as average as you get for a song. I don't think it does anything wrong. I don't think it does necessarily anything overly right. I think the bridge at at like three minutes and 20 seconds was jarring i didn't think it fit the song i didn't think it fit the album it it i felt like it really messed up the pacing of the song 
I, I do think this is one of the songs and that you can just kind of put on and zone out to. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it does, it has that quality, uh, especially, and uh, you know, I, I don't mind it. I'm not going to search it out, but if it plays, I'm going to let it play for sure. Right. And so I can tie that into the leaving song because I think this celluloid dream and the leaving song are identical in my eyes. I think okay. they're both fives out of 10. I think I can put these songs on if, you know, if it plays, if Spotify goes, I'm shuffling and these two, ta- these two songs are back to back. I'm letting them play out. I'm yeah. not overly impressed. I'm not disappointed. I'm just, they're decent and I'm just going to let it, let it happen. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think they're very similar as well. Um, even though they're more than a minute different in runtime, I, I think they're both decent. I gave this one a seven, same as I gave the cellular dream. Broken record here. I like the vocals. I like the punk. I like the guitar. I like all of it. It's not amazing. It doesn't blow me away. It's not Girls Not Gray, but it works. Now, here we go. Okay. Now, I'm excited to say, and we might differ completely here. We're going to. But Home Is Nowhere is my favorite song on this album. And I have to say that this is one of the songs that I absolutely hated the first time that I listened to this album. Okay. And now it is quite literally my favorite. Despite yeah, the fact that I only gave it a 7 out of 10. Okay. It is my favorite on this one. And I said um, the screaming mirrored previous songs on this album. I think the chorus is again the best part about this song. But here's the kicker for me. This song played, right? Yep. And I was like, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Right. I, I listened to it again. And I'm like, you know what? I like this. I like this song a lot. And you want to know what happened immediately after that? I replayed the song. Okay. I listened to it twice in a row. And that's how I knew that this song was different than any of the other ones on the album. Because I actively wanted to hear it again in its entirety. All three minutes and 50 seconds, I wanted it again. Interesting. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I think the chorus is the best chorus on this album. And this song is, is just my favorite. Okay. Uh, I think it's okay. Uh, I gave it a six. I don't like... In the middle of the song, they have that sort of ramping up, building section from like the two-minute mark. And it builds and it builds, and I, I don't feel like it's ever fulfilled. And then it sort of breaks into the, the minor notes the, that come afterwards. And it's like, I just find it unsatisfying. I find it jarring. I, I don't feel like it completes what it's trying to do. Which, when I was writing that, I had the thought, well, I mean, that's probably intentional. That's the whole, you know, th- that's their aesthetic that's going on here. That's That's what they want. They don't want to satisfy you know they're not a pop band they're an emo punk band they want to leave you a little bit on edge a little bit jarred a little bit unsatisfied with the the chord progressions they're using they want you to feel that sort of dissonance so i it, it didn't it didn't do it for me but i think it may have been intentional 
in going off of that, perhaps maybe this song is perfectly named because maybe with home being nowhere and with the song leaving you feeling jarred and, you know, perhaps restless and perhaps, you know, on edge, maybe they did that perfectly right. You know, home is nowhere. So you have nowhere where there's peace, you know, and you just have this, you know, this rebellion, this, this rage, this pop punk, you know, beating its drum inside of you. And it's, if you have nowhere to go, if there's nowhere to rest your head, I mean, that, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's definitely a a concept that I, I don't think is, I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand, but at the same time, I don't want to make excuses for a track that doesn't hit the notes that I want it to just because it's named well. I feel oh, like that well, might be doing you know, too many favors. You know, you know, names get me, so I have to. I got to play a little little devil's advocate there for them. But unfortunately, this time in perfect. Um, do you want to take the the reins here, or I mean, this is a ten minute thirty eight second juggernaut. Okay, so I wanted to have a discussion about this that has not a whole lot to do with the song specifically. Okay, because it's not. It's not a 10-minute song. It's a three-minute song with, what, seven minutes of, of silence before? Like, it's... Well, can I just say... It's something so... that's broken because of streaming services. Like, when, when you bought the album in 2003, it, yep. would just be, it was just unlisted on, on the album sheet. So you wouldn't know it was there. So unless you listen to the 10 minutes of silence after the last labeled track, you wouldn't know it was even on the disc. Can I just say that, and I don't know if this is correct or if this is actually what this, we'll say, quote unquote, song is, right? Like the entire the, the entire thing. Okay. But Spotify has this feature where you can see lyrics, right? Yep. And there is dialogue very softly, very quietly spoken in in those moments of where it's you know quote unquote silence yeah and those lyrics we'll say for lack of a better word right are beautiful and powerful and it's an absolute shame that those words weren't used as a as an acoustic or as a you know davy just sings it himself and it's like this beautiful song you know because the it tells a story as they do throughout all of their songs but they what the tale that they tell in those silent moments if you read it packs a powerful punch and it's an absolute miss on 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 the band that they didn't take advantage of that and really use those words to tell that tale in a way that you know people can enjoy like it's you'll if you don't turn it up or look at the lyrics as spotify has them on your screen you'll miss that entire story yeah um i because of the time period this album was released in like you said on the previous track i think that may have been intentional I think they wanted you to have to go out of your way to get it. That, no, that's true. And I, and again, the problem might be that with a streaming service, you know, this one's going to seem like there's absolutely nothing there. And I will give credit to Spotify 
for the lyrics being posted because those I act... aren't I, what I got from a... the the lyrics are crowdsourced, so they're just they're just reading off of some of a of a website. Oh, you know, I figured that's why that's why I said I don't know if this is actual or if it's you know what what the band intended, right? Right. So, so I'm just I'm just inferring that that's you know at least partially true, right? Right. But I gotta say that that feature alone is really nice because I actively took the time to read everything that was said in that silent portion. Okay. And so regardless or not if it, it's if that's what's actually being said or if anything's said at all, right? It's, you got it's, some value out of it. Yeah, I still got a lot of value out of it, and that value made me really be like, I want you guys to tell the story. I want this to be the actual song, right? right. I, because otherwise, I'm just kind of like. I feel the same way I do for, you know, track one, the beginning, it, it loses a lot of its value to me on a streaming service. So tying, tying those two together, these intro tracks, these, these album hidden tracks, unlabeled tracks and interlude tracks that they come in the middle of albums. Do you think they still, do they have a reason to exist in the era of streaming services? If people aren't buying full albums and listening from start to finish, do you think they should still exist? Are they interesting? Do they, do they, would you ever listen? Is there, is there one you can think of that you would listen to on its own? I don't think there is, honestly, I think it loses a lot of its value on streaming services because let's be honest, if I'm in the car and I'm streaming this album, right. And, you know, track one or track 13 comes on, I'm skipping it. Um, if I'm at the gym and those tracks are on, if I'm on shuffle and those tracks play, I'm skipping it. And so I think where they get the most benefit in today's age, in my opinion, is if I'm at, like I said, if I'm at a concert and, you know, the band's, you know, changing equipment or they want to have a brief pause and you just kind of have like an instrumental or you have a, an interlude song, right? I think that has so much value and so much potential because you're getting the crowd ready for what's to come. Okay. You can tell a brief tale and like, and we'll just say 30 seconds to a minute. Right. Sure. And, and you can get the crowd pumped up for this next song that you're going to play as opposed to just kind of going from one to the next, because you have that in-person emotion to it. Whereas on a streaming service, I just don't give a shit. I yeah. want to listen to your songs. But if I'm in person, yeah, give me that 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 raw emotion from it, right? Give me that 30 seconds where you're just, you know, the guitarist is going off on a on a solo, or you know, the backup vocalist is just singing some crazy shit. Like I, that's I think that's where it thrives. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. Uh, that was pretty much the only reason that I could come up with them for them to exist. Either is that they might be useful to have something that you've rehearsed for a live show that your audience might recognize as a sort of palate cleanser, breath of fresh air, taking a, a momentary break. But I don't, I don't know if they need to be on an album. Like, I think the band can just. Yeah. The, the what... assumption is that in an album, you're obviously in a studio. It's obviously being produced. You don't need uh, the break at that point because the assumption is that you're just going, you're going to produce one song, right? And whatever session you're in, and then the next session you produce a different song and it's just going to be compiled into an album. So the, the, the album on a streaming service doesn't need the break. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I thought. 
Because like when you're setting up your set list for your live shows, you can rehearse with with your with your touring artists, with your stage manager, and you, and you can get you can come up with an interlude for your tour that that isn't on an album. And I think you know, that see, and can, if you do that, I think that adds a nice touch because then that adds it gives the people that go to your shows and you know actively listen to the band, they can look forward to knowing that there's like a special interlude or a special song at the end that isn't going to be on any album because you only play it live because you understand that that raw emotion impacts people differently in person as opposed to just listening to it and you're going to skip it because it's not like the rest of the songs. All right, so we're both in agreement. Interlude songs have a purpose in live shows. Not really, not really worthwhile on an actual album. How did you rate this overall? What did what did you what did you give it? Well, I didn't crunch the numbers on this one, unfortunately. But I'm gonna imagine I'm gonna just say that it's probably a six and a half. Okay. I think there's a lot of good songs to take away from this. Um, Death of Seasons, of course, but Home is nowhere. But at the same time, I also think that there's a lot of songs that are just trash that I just couldn't get into. That and again, the the quiet portions in his voice, it just didn't take hold of me as probably as soon as it should have. And I just couldn't get into the beginning portion of this album. And so it kind of felt flat. Okay. What would you, where's this rank on your all time list? When, when you round it to, to tenths, it gets a 6.6, which okay. is the same as lead sales paper anchor. Um, see, the thing is, is, is with my system, it's got more digits, right? So it's right. The, the full number is that I've taken to sort in my sheet is 6.56358. So 6.56, that's, that's all anyone needs to know. I don't think it's precise beyond that. I just like having more numbers in, in case they're needed. Again, going back to the fact that Cam is a spreadsheet aficionado and it's he needs the numbers. I need the numbers. So 6.5 and a half. It's a solid album. Unlike you, I don't think there's any truly awful portions on it. But at the same time, I don't think there's any... It doesn't reach the same heights that lead sales paper anchor did like there's no there's no 10 out of 10 on here for me girls not gray mm. is a good song i i'm not sure on how many albums it would be the best song my my five number summary for this is, is four six seven seven nine so i gave lots of things in the six and seven range and there's only the two things that are the eight and the nine um and if we are looking at spotify's top 10 most popular songs for AFI, right? Yep. As we did for, for Atreyu. Um, songs of Sorrow actually has four songs in the po top 10 most popular. Yeah, see, I'm not that surprised by that because if you if you like AFI, let's put it like this. If you like old AFI, that's it's like super hardcore punk, that's super lo-fi, that's scratchy and edgy and unpolished, 
you can probably still listen to Sing the Sorrow and you're not going to be, you might not like it because it's, it's a step away from the stuff that you like. But compared to all of their other stuff, it's going to be the least offensive. And if you like the new AFI, the pop, emo, super polished commercial AFI, Silver, the Sing the Sorrow is probably the furthest back you can go where you can still listen to it. Yeah, so we have Girls Not Grey coming in at number two overall. Like I said before, 51.6 million listens. I, I think it's the best song on the album. I think it's one of their best songs. So I, I would agree with that. Um, at number five, you have Silver and Cold with almost 24 million listens. I think that's the second best song on the album. I think those two are both very strong. At number seven, most popular of all time, you have The Leaving Song Part 2 with almost 17 million listens. Which was the third single from the album, so it makes sense that it's popular, even though I think it's okay. I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's a top 10 AFI song. And then, uh, I guess maybe as a tip of the hat moment to myself, um, <laughs> Dancing Through Sunday actually comes in at number eight. And for some reason, it only has 10.3 million listens at number eight. I don't know Spotify's algorithm again. You know, if a Spotify engineer ever listens to this podcast, I would love to know the, the back end of that. Were all those listens you in the last week? or Most certainly. Of the 10.3 million, I'm 10.2. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, I had to get a couple in, so. You, yeah, you had to get at least two in for this. So, yeah, so, I mean, I think this is a this is a definitely a, a 6.5 album. I would definitely rate this as maybe one of their better albums, in my opinion. Um, I would love to give more of a listen to their older stuff and then kind of compare it to what we have now. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's a huge transition. Like, Sing the Sorrow and December Underground are the threads that combine these two different AFIs. But I, I think, and like I said, Sing the Sorrow, I thought this was absolute shit. Um, I was not really a fan of AFI before this, but I, I've definitely turned the page. I think this album definitely opened my eyes to um, what AFI can offer people. And I think they have a, a sound that's unique in their own. And I think some songs, they do really well. And I think others, they kind of miss the boat because of just the style that they have. Like, that's just the type of music that you get from this band. And, you know, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. But again, that's their style. Yeah, I can definitely understand why there's, there's going to be a large amount of the population who, even if you like metal, even if you like harsh vocals, the punk vocals are probably an acquired taste. And if you like the punk, you might not like the soft sections. Yeah, they're they're all over the board where they have the pop punk moments, they have the quiet, almost acoustic versions, and like they don't stick to one portion. They kind of go all over the place. So I mean, if you don't, if you're not a fan of all that, you're probably gonna be like, well, this yeah. is shit. But you know, there there's some that they do really well. Like I found several songs that I, I absolutely enjoy. So there's they definitely have something for for everyone in, in their discography for sure. So they've they've been on the grill. They've been warming up. Yeah. So these sausages, man, are, are extremely spicy today. And I don't, you know, they got a nice sear to them. 
Yeah, they got grill marks all over. And I know nice. on episode one you hit us with the Diablo sauce, but <laughs> if I could if I could perhaps give you a Carolina Reaper. Okay. Okay. If I could give you just a touch more spice, okay. Ooh, it's gonna be hard to do. And this is hot house cooking, okay. Are is AFI, okay. Are they a one-hit wonder band with Miss Murder? Because if you look at these Spotify numbers, Miss Murder comes in at 236 million listens. And Girls Not Great doesn't even touch that at 51.6. And it really makes me wonder if AFI is a one-hit wonder that just took the success of Miss Murder and that's the whole reason why they're famous. And if anyone knows AFI, it's solely because of that song. So I have, I disagree. Obviously, I like this album. I like Girls Not Grey. It came out first. How could they be a one-hit wonder if they put out good songs before their hit? I also, I don't know, I don't think the disparity is enough. I think Sing the Sorrow sold a million right it it was it charted oh it what was it 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 was it was fifth on the billboard 100 like it it charted before miss murder came out so i don't think i can call them a one-hit wonder the issue is that miss murder is just so popular all right let me ask you this question then do you think because of the rampant success of Miss Murder, do you think that kind of stifles some of their other songs that are maybe just as good, if not maybe better? And do you think because of Miss Murder, a lot of people listen to that one and they go, well, wait, why is the rest of their stuff shit? Uh, I think that's definitely the case with their other albums. I wanted to talk about December Underground versus versus Sing the Sorrow. I also, I can give you a, a, a hot take about that. Miss Murder is not the best song on the other album. Oh, we have more room on the grill if you have <laughs> more sausages. By, yeah, I mean, by we all put, means, please. We got to put some more down. Yeah. Cooking. Uh, yeah, no, Endlessly She Said is, is, is the best song. Um, really? December Underground. Yeah. Um, and The Killing Lights might be better than Miss Murder as well. Wow. So, bypassing my, my super hot takes, my... My my question is, all right, does this album sound acoustically different than December Underground to you? Yes, absolutely. Really? I, I think that December Underground, I think they went perhaps more so away from pop punk. Interesting. And kind of went more towards utilizing Davies vocals more. And okay. I, I don't know how, like, I think, I just think they, I don't want to say abandoned, but I think they moved greatly far away from the pop punk element of what AFI was in older albums. Well, they, well, they weren't pop punk. This is the first time they were, they were well, pop. Right. So I think they went away from that punk aspect that, you know, the raspy stuff that yeah. we kind of experienced in, in songs like Sorrow. The lo-fi. Yes. Harsh, and, like, shouted vocals. Right, and so I still think December Underground is uniquely them. 
But I think they're two completely different and not just two sides of the same coin. Interesting. Because my... I'm going to read you. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make this note, but my, my thought is that if you took a random number generator okay, and picked any 10 random songs between Sing the Sorrow and December Underground, that someone who's never listened to AFI wouldn't be able to tell it was two albums. Right. If you if you just just merge these two and you said, yeah, that's one album that no one would ever question it. They they sound to me. I was going to ask you, how was Miss Murder so huge when it sounds exactly like how how did the summer underground become this massive pop thing? Was it just Guitar Hero? Was that the only reason it became like so much more present in the, in the popular zeitgeist than Sing the Sorrow? Because they sound identical to me. They sound. Is there a song from Sing the Sorrow that you think is exactly like Miss Murder? I don't think there's a song that's exactly like Miss Murder. And do you think if but I also don't think it Ms. wasn't Murder's on Guitar Hero, song. do you think they wouldn't have had that success then? I think they would have had a similar amount of success as Sing the Sorrow. I think they would have, you know, borderline platinum. Because, I mean, the proof is there that it's... Miss Murder is such a popular song. I mean, 236 million listens. Yeah, it's a good song. Is is staggering. But yeah, no, you you might be onto something where it's like if it didn't have that mainstream, you know, implementation, does December Underground take off as a solid album? Because like, I think these two albums are very very similar. I I like I. I made a note to put down my rating for Sing the Sorrow, right? When you, when you, when you, I rated the 10 songs, I weighted them by the runtime of the individual songs, and I came out with this, with this number. For Sing the Sorrow, you get 6.563, right? Yep. I also did this for December Underground. Do you know, do, do you know what? the aggregate was for December Underground? Was it similar? It's 6.568. Wow. So, like, I, I just, to me, it, like, it, December Underground might be the B-side to this album. Not that it's worse, but, like, it's the second half. They're so That's similar. Interesting. It's very interesting. And I'm kind of curious to go off of your point. If you did pick 10 random songs from both albums, would someone be able to tell the difference and say that, yes, this is one album. Yes, this is the other, right? Like if you, if you put Miss Murder on Sing the Sorrow and you told someone that that was just, you know, that was the album it was on, would they, would they know? I don't see. That's a very good point because while I think that Sing the Sorrow does have more punk element to it, I think because of Davy's vocals, I think you'd have a tough time differentiating the two. These two, I think, are still, like, especially when you compare them to the rest of their discography, because like the, the stuff before this is just punk. Is just you're in a mosh pit in 1994 in the city in the summer, and the guy on the stage is shouting, 
and yes. the amps are turned up to 15. And the stuff after this is smooth, polished, emo ballad pop, but there's there's no lo-fi punk edge to it. So these two just they just align with me. They fall into the same groove in my mind and they they ride that track and I like them both a lot. But they're like just they've fallen into the same notch. Yeah, it almost makes me wonder if like you said if one is the continuation of the other as if, you know, Sing the Sorrow came first and then they go, "Let's do B-sides." For December Underground, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. They start with the the uh, the Prelude twelve twenty one, which is very different for an intro track. It's not. It's no, not it's like almost, many intro tracks. It's almost like it's an actual song on its own, despite yeah. being what it's titled. If I if I said that I had Prelude twelve twenty one liked on Spotify, how would that no. make you feel? I know I'm right there with you. Okay. I'm, I'm, but it's also it's only because I I pair it with Miss Murder, like I play that and then even I play though Miss Murder is not the second song. Yes. Okay. But I like I think, the flow. I think that decision. Yeah, I think that decision was weird. Like the Killing Lights is just it doesn't feel right in the second place. Kill Caustic in second place. Okay. Now we're talking about a different album, so I don't have my notes in front of me. But yeah, no, I think there are similarities between both albums. I think that people would struggle to differentiate songs if you just heard as a blind lesson, being like, is this the same album or are they two different albums? <laughs> I think they both have distinct songs that you could go, yeah, that's this one, that's that one. Okay. But for the, for the most part, I think that, yeah, they're very similar. I think it's made harder by the fact that their other albums are so distinct from these two. It's almost like these two albums are completely isolated in their yeah. discography. And, you know, they have, you know, albums from 94 or whatever. Yeah. And it's like they have these, just these two albums that are separate from literally everything else that they've ever done. But these two singular albums make up what is afi like afi is afi because of these two albums yeah speaking of that now that now that we've got the whole we're talking about the whole album we're talking about the, you know the essence of the album that that channels the whole you know every part of the band their roots their future are there any other is there and i know you said he sounds so unique that you couldn't do this what other what other albums what other bands out there are that that sound anything like this to you so the first one that i have uh, that i put down doesn't necessarily sound similar and we talked about this band briefly it's a band that we both very much like um scary kids scaring kids i specifically called out the city sleeps in flames okay only because I feel like those songs also tell a story. Okay. And I think they have the same kind of vibe to them, not necessarily punk. Um, but I think they just flow with the same kind of magnitude that song or sing the sorrow does. Okay. 
And then the second one that I put out that does kind of relate to Davy's vocals and the way the Sing the Sorrow is, is um, a Skylet Drive. And I specifically called out um, wires and the concept of breathing. Interesting. Because I don't, I don't think they sound anything like. And I think it's just the way the two vocalists sound that, you know, you really got to give it a second, a third listen. <laughs> I'll and, agree with that. And I think a lot of people will just hear the vocals and go, well, this is kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree but with I, that. I think they're both deserving of multiple listens because odds are you probably like a couple of the songs if you give it a second try. What did you, uh, what did you have? Do you have anything listed down that's for albums or bands? Yeah, I've got, I've got, I think five. Wow. Recommendations here of things that sound similar. So I've got one band that sounds like, I almost want to tell you to pull this up so you can vouch for it. Cause they sound so okay. similar. I'm curious. But, but they, they, where AFI is sort of Gothic performative showman this other band is political commentary so okay. i think a lot of people even though they sound very similar if, if you like sing the sorrow and you like december underground i don't think you're gonna you're not necessarily gonna like this other band even though they sound very similar uh the band's called anti-flag anti-flag really yeah i almost want to tell you to just pull them up and just play whatever the first song is on their spotify because like they they to me they're so similar but Anti-Flag is like just they're very outspoken political commentary. And I think that that's going to put of the people, you know, we've already filtered. You got to like AFI's soft. You've got to like AFI's punk. And now you got to get through the third filter of you got to tolerate political commentary in your music. You know, I do like that. I think that's a great, a great call out right there. I would absolutely agree with you that the style that Anti-Flag brings while not necessarily similar to AFI, I think it fits that that notch. Okay. The other four are just... I don't have any disclaimers to go with them. I'm just going to throw them out there. I think they sound sort of similar. If you like these two AFI albums, you probably like at least something off one of these four bands. Okay. The first one, I know you and I have both listened to some of their singles, maybe not full albums, Alkaline Trio. Okay, yeah, definitely. I don't know if I've ever listened to an album in its entirety by them, but, you know, songs here and there, absolutely. The second band has a couple singles that I really like, uh, but I don't know, again, I don't know if I've listened to any full albums, but this is Aiden. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, actually, I have. Okay. I wouldn't uh, be able to tell you specific songs, but yeah, no, I'm okay. I like that one. And the final two are just, they sound kind of like AFI. They're not very high on my listen to charts. It's Set Your Goals and Screeching Weasel. Set Your Goals. That's a great band. I would actually say now that I'm looking at this list, I think while not necessarily similar sounding, I'd call out Green Day as kind of that punk political old Green Day, old Green Day. Yes. Okay. Kind of with that anti-flag thing that we yeah. had going on. I think. Yeah. That, well, I mean, they're, I they're in the same. Really well. 
political commentary punk. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're in the same boat. And I think if you like those two AFI albums, both of those bands, like specifically maybe American idiot, American idiot and older. Yes. American idiot and anything before that. Absolutely. All right. So if you had to summarize, sing the sorrow if you had to put you know your my elevator pitch yeah your you know your your cover letter on sing the sorrow see now this is going to be uh can you do it because i know you it wasn't you weren't super fond of it and then it grew on you so do you did you have enough time after it grew on you to come up with something to sell it yeah, see, here's the problem. And all I can say is that first opinions are shit. Because the album didn't change, but I could change, right? <laughs> right? So, like I mentioned before, I thought this was shit. I didn't want to listen to it. I gave everything a one initially, right? Yep. But the album is exactly what the album is, right? Yeah. The difference is that I needed to give it a second listen. I needed to give it a third listen. I needed to read the lyrics. I needed to look at the music and listen to the music the way that it's presented because it's not going to change, right? And obviously there's things that I'm just not going to like, period. But there are songs that I gave sevens to that I thought were exceptional. And, and if I didn't do my proper due diligence and we didn't do this deep dive, I would have missed out on some really solid quality songs. Yeah, it would have came up on shuffle once, would hit next, and you would have never heard it again. So my my one takeaway is, you know, first opinions are shit. You know, we we got to change. So with that said, what do you have? What's what's your takeaway here? So I've got I've got I've got a line written down. Okay. It's it's pretty word salady. Well, um, we're ready for it. Are you sure? After those sausages, you still got room for a nice, nice word salad to wash them down with. Well, you know, a, a nice tall glass of a word salad never hurt anybody. So let's just okay. see, let's see what you got. My my description of Sing the Sorrow is a self-congratulatory, commercialized punk ballad concept album that remains enjoyable despite its self-indulgence. Wow. Wow. Now, do you think, say perhaps December Underground never happens, right? Okay. Do you think Sing the Sorrow becomes that premier, most popular, well-known AFI album? I don't know. Um, I think. I think that if December, like. Do you mean December Underground never gets made or that it doesn't have any sort of commercial success? We can say both. Say that it, you know, what's the scenario if it's never made, but also what's the scenario if, you know, it's a complete flop? Does that affect Sing the Sorrow? Does that maybe bolster Sing the Sorrow or does AFI just not see the same success without yeah, I think, one or the other? I think definitely. If, if, if Sing the Sorrow has an okay reception and then December underground doesn't get any sales because people didn't really like sing the sorrow and it, and December underground just never sells and it's not on guitar hero. So people don't have people who wouldn't listen to punk pop punk 
post hardcore if you know if it doesn't have the same level of exposure for basically normies i think either the band disbands or they go back to just being an off-label punk band that doesn't doesn't have the same essence in in the public sphere wow wow because sing the sorrow was like their first attempt at hey major record labels we actually have talents outside of shouting and headlining you know 50 person concerts in chicago and new york I think it might also be perhaps the first time that, you know, Davey truly utilizes his voice. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And really puts it to the forefront of what AFI is as a band. Because I think it comes out a lot in, like, literally all of these songs on Sing the Sorrow. Whereas before, it's that, you know, like you said, that screaming, in-your-face punk, you know, I'm at, I don't know, a, uh, a festival, right? And yeah. They're not, they're not on the main stage. They're off in the corner. They got 20 people. Yeah. And those 20 people are the only 20 people that know about the band. But then you have Sing the Sorrow, and he goes, you guys, I have a pretty unique vocal range and a pretty unique voice. Let's let's run with it. Let's see what happens. Let's let's see how popular this can be, right? Yeah. And And then you get this, and then you get December Underground, and it's like, See, there is the success. There is not just the side stage punk band. There is this mainstream band with a, with something different that sets them apart from everybody else on the stage. Yeah, I I might be the only one with with this sort of opinion, but like I I like all of the AFIs. I I liked The Art of Drowning. I liked All Hallows. I, I liked December Underground, I liked Sing the Sorrow, and I liked Crash Love. I haven't listened to a lot of the newer stuff, but I imagined I would still like it. Which is In, very rare for a band to do, because I feel like you either like the old or you like what they've produced now. It's very tough to yeah, that's, have music where you know you actively enjoy the changes as they progress as a band. That's one of the things that I saw when when I'm when I'm listening to it and I'm looking up their stuff. You know, there's a lot of like social media comments that are like on that are on the art of drowning, right? If you go and you look at like their last FM page, and they'll be like, "Well, wow, I'm really sad that AFI never produced an album after this," because they're like, you know, just a fan going like, "I don't like Sing the Sorrow. I don't even think it came after that. They just don't exist." And there are probably a lot of people that have heard. AFI's new stuff that don't know that this exists that doesn't know that they were a straight up hardcore punk band that doesn't know they have you know six albums before 2002 so it's 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 like AFI has been three or four different bands and that's it, always a thing that interests me the most because I'll, I'll see a lot of comments where, like you said, people like their early stuff and will say that the old stuff is shit and or vice versa. You know, they like the, the old stuff and they say the new stuff is shit and that it's not the same band and that they wish the band stayed, you know, doing either or, right? 
Yeah. And it's like, well, you have to understand that, you know, a band's going to change and adapt based on obviously what the band wants to do. Right. Yep. But also they have individual talents. They have group talents. They want to try new things. And it's, you know, it's the, still the same band and you don't need to like, you know, the, you know, a certain album, you don't need to like certain songs. You know, if you think they're junk, that's fine, but like, it's still the same band. So when people call up, you know, bands out, we'll say AFI, for example, and they're like, well, AFI should have stayed like this and they're shit now. Well, <laughs> no, the, the band is still good. They just wanted to try new things. You don't necessarily need to like that album, but it's not, they're not total shit. They didn't sell out. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Right. Like it's still the same band. They just wanted to go in a different direction. It might just not be for you, but you don't need to drag them down yeah. because it doesn't fit with that small genre that you fix yourself to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the band's not in the box, even if the album you listen to does fit in a box. Right. A hundred percent. So I think that, I think that pretty much covers everything I wanted to talk about in regards to this, this AFI album. Did you have anything, any final thoughts that you need? You feel the need to get off your chest before we wrap up? No, I think this was a, this was an eye opener for me. I think this was a very surprising episode two album too with this AFI album. Um, definitely a, a change of pace from the Atreyu one that we did in the first episode. Um, I, I really enjoyed how I came into this album and there were songs that I found that I liked. And it really makes me want to go through their discography in its entirety and, and see what else I can dig up and see what else I can find and, and enjoy. Um, so I really like that this gives me the opportunity to do that, whereas before I would never have even given that thought. Right. So, yeah, I think this is I think this has been a great deep dive. I, I've learned a lot. I think we've talked about a lot of good points. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you have? What are your final thoughts here? No, I think I think I, I think I got it all out. I feel I feel light, you know, I feel relieved. You, you, you feel pretty good after this uh, a little over an hour that we've been going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't got, think I'm surprised. I didn't think I didn't think we would have quite as much to say on this album. Yeah, no, we've, it's been pretty good, despite the fact that, you know, in the beginning, a lot of these songs, I just didn't care for at all. And I gave them essentially the same review. I think there was a lot. And I think this band does have a lot to offer across different spectrums. And I think there's something for everyone here. And I think AFI does have an, a unique talent that's their own. And I, I highly recommend everyone you know, pick up sing, sing the sorrow or December underground or the art of drowning and just really give this band a, a good thorough try. Cause again, like I said, numerous times, I thought this entire album was shit and here I am giving sevens and praising the band and it, it grew on me almost instantly. So that being said, we'll close the chapter on AFI's sing the sorrow. Where, where are we going next for episode three, album three? Well, see, I wanted I wanted to talk to you about that because you had said that maybe, maybe the album you had put forth before wasn't the one you wanted to do now. Yeah. So, as I mentioned to the audience beforehand, we have the system where I pick one, you pick one, and we just go we just go from there, right? And we had mentioned in episode one, you know, a data remembers homesick album, and and I got to thinking, and we discussed this over dinner that. That's a really solid album that we have we could have a lot of quality discussion with. And I think it's an album that, you know, we both took a lot from as we were younger. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. NJ Legion Ice T is just 
and you know nothing against the album that we would have done in the third spot and maybe we'll save it for a later date or you know just a shorter episode just to get it out there right but i i think the homesick album deserves its spot as number three and i think a day to remember is a solid band to do it's a solid album with a lot of good songs yeah so i think we should really you know make that one our next deep dive and really dig into what we were doing when we were 12 13 14 <laughs> years old and really go through all those quality songs and just stick with this kind of older vibe we kind of got going on right now yeah i mean you're not going to get any complaints from me listening to an old day to remember album i will say in regards to maybe the album we had originally picked coming back i think the lesson from this episode is Sometimes you just got to let something grow on you. So, you know, you never know in, in, in six months, we might come back and go, actually, that album's really good now. Like it sounds great. No guarantees, but we got to give it a chance. Yeah. I think we'll definitely save it in our back pocket and see what happens. You know, we'll, I'll keep listening to the songs and if we decide we want to tackle that one for sure, let's do it. But I think for now, let's pick up the homesick. Let's do a deep dive and let's see what's in this a day to remember box, you know? So with that being said, any last words before we say goodbye to all those at home? No, I don't, I don't think I've got anything. I really like the, a day to remember box. It's one of my favorite boxes. So I'm really looking forward to next episode. Well, then we will close it out here. This is triggers and triggered a discography. This is episode two, album two, closing out AFI's sing the sorrow. We'll be back next week with A Data Remembers Homesick Album. This is Shmeef and Kem signing off.